We are in the book of James. The book of James. Anyone need a Bible? Need a Bible? Anyone? Chapter 2 of James. Bible, anybody? My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. Do not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this word. Oh, what a wonderful reminder to us, Lord that we are all on equal footing before the cross. Lord, speak to us about what that means this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. By the way, just another word about missions trips. So next year we will be going to Brazil. And if you could just be praying about that as well. Alex Piagetti, we had him here recently, just went down to uh, start up a church, and we want to go support that. We will be trying to work something out with Haiti later this year, but there are, you know, things are difficult there still, and uh, that's uncertain as well, but you can be praying about that as well. But man, it's like I told someone over the weekend, going on these missions trips, it's like, it's like uh Christian summer camp on steroids is what it is. Uh, it's, it's really an awesome time. Except the steroids are the Holy Spirit. Anyway, James. He had the unimaginable privilege of growing up with Jesus. We know from Galatians 1.19, he was the biological brother of Jesus Christ. Joseph and Mary, his parents. Of course, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but his mother was Mary. And so, as we've discussed the last few weeks, although he grew up very familiar with Jesus, no doubt intimately familiar with his character, his zeal for God, after Jesus turned 30 years old and began revealing who he was, he, James, along with the rest of his brothers, James, the writer of this book, 
did not believe in Jesus, actively opposed his ministry, became like an enemy to Jesus. If you weren't here the last few weeks, you may want to grab uh, the CDs. We discussed those things in a fair amount of detail. But, you know, I was reflecting again about these things that James didn't believe him, actively opposed Jesus, became like an enemy of, of, of Jesus. I began reflecting again on this, that his own brothers, they knew his character. They personally witnessed the peace, the goodness, the self-control, the gentleness. They personally experienced the love. Yet still, they did not believe him. That is a statement on the power and grip and effect of sin that sin has on the life of every human being. Even when the living God is staring someone in the face, literally in this case, the case of James, we will lay a hold of the sin rather than trusting and obeying. But how great our salvation is. Jesus died for us on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead to give us new life, which not only frees us from the penalty of sin, but the power of it. A new life in which our eyes are open to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's our Savior and our Lord. Most of us, this side of heaven, are not going to be able to see Jesus. We're not going to have the living God staring at us right in the face. But James did. Not only before Jesus died, but after Jesus died. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to his 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, and then to who? James. At which point, no doubt, James just cried out, Jesus you are Lord. You are Lord. You are the Lord. The Bible says, we have this verse up, Romans ten thirteen. Very simple. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are saved. Into an everlasting relationship with Jesus by calling upon Him, the Lord, by faith. Faith in what? Faith in who Jesus is and what He did. Who is He? He's the Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth. What did He do? He died on the cross in my, your place. Again. Whoever, by faith, calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. We are saved by faith. Plus what? Nothing. Not faith plus trying to be good. Not faith plus trying to be religious. Not Faith plus going to church, being baptized, reading your Bible, praying a lot. No, we are saved by faith alone. Faith plus nothing. 
However, and this is what James is going to hammer home throughout this book. Some of you are, 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 are giggling because you know what's coming. From cover to cover, the Bible distinguishes between an authentic faith and a counterfeit faith, between a real faith and a fake faith, between an active faith and a dead faith, between a saving faith, which is the gift of God, and a man-made faith, which is really no faith at all. Now listen. An authentic, an authentic faith. And this is what James is just going to start hammering home. This is so important. James was a guy who was tired of seeing Christians play games. An authentic faith will express itself over time, not overnight, by a certain lifestyle. A lifestyle not motivated by a sense of guilt a sense of obligation, a fear of judgment in hell, but a lifestyle motivated by a grateful, grace-filled heart. Case in point, James himself. When his eyes were opened for the first time to who Jesus really was, it was believed it was at the resurrection. Up until that point, James treated Jesus like 95% of other people, like an enemy. At the time of the resurrection, he appe- Jesus appears to the 12 apostles, and it says he appeared to James. We can only imagine the guilt, the shame, the burden of sin on James's heart. If anyone had no excuse for having rejected Jesus, it was James. But through a supernatural operation on his heart... Supernatural open-heart surgery. The surgeon, God. The scalpel, the Holy Spirit. Through supernatural open-heart surgery, James' guilt, his shame, his unbelief was replaced by grace, forgiveness, with just overpowering, all-consuming grace. And that grace would motivate him for the rest of his life. So James knew. He knew from personal experience the difference between playing games and an authentic faith. The difference between an authentic saving faith and a fake faith. Faking it. And he didn't like people showing up to church faking it. And that's what this book is about. And I praise God. Because you know sometimes I show up to church faking it. And I just love to open up my heart to the word of God. And just that my heart would be exposed to the truth. So that I can just shift and make a change. And get back in the race. The genuine race. And so... James, he starts off in chapter 1, verse 22. James says, don't be just hearers of the word of God, be doers. And authentic faith hears, and then it does. So starting in verse 26, James begins to describe what an authentic doing faith looks like. 
Verse 26 in chapter 1, we went over this last week. week. He said, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Ouch, James. Say it ain't so. Sorry, it's so. If your faith is an authentic, saving faith, over time... You will develop self-control over your tongue. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We don't roll into the kingdom of God with a whole lot of that. The Bible calls it a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a fruit of an authentic faith. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he does if you're born again, over time you will develop self-control. Verse 27 of chapter 1. Pure and undefiled uh, religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. So an authentic faith will minister to those who cannot help themselves. And then it continues, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. A man or woman with an authentic saving faith will take steps, make choices, implement life changes to prevent themselves from being polluted by the world. I love that song we just sang. The Lord before me, the world behind me. That's just a description of someone walking with a real faith, a saving faith. So, remember, when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapter breaks, no verses, no chapter 2, verse 1. Those things were all implemented in the Middle Ages. So, chapter 2, verse 1 is just a continuation of verse 27. So, let's, let's go to, now to, again to verse 1. Verse 1 says, My brethren... By the way, that's repeated 19 times in the book of James. My brethren. Just that that heart that is behind this teaching. The truth spoken in love. My brethren. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, another way of translating this is, my brethren... If Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, lives inside of you, in other words, if you have a saving faith, you will not treat people with partiality. And he goes on in verse 2. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings. I love the original Greek here. It just means gold fingers. Some guy with gold fingers, a woman with gold fingers walks in. In fine apparel. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool and sit at my feet. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. 
Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So listen. Our flesh, the natural man, loves to mingle. We love to be seen with the rich, the powerful, and the famous. Our flesh just loves it. What do you think all these magazines in the supermarket are appealing to? It's not your spiritual man or your spiritual woman. It's the flesh. The Bible says this, Galatians 5.24 says this. Those who are Christ, remember what we're talking about in authentic faith, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, that doesn't mean if you're born again, you're not going to have passions and desires that are wrong. We went over that last uh, a couple weeks ago. It's not the passion or desire that's, uh, that is sin. It's laying a hold of it. it. This verse just means that if you are born again, if you have an authentic saving faith, you will have, you've been given the power and the privilege to crucify those passions and desires. One of them is just to, is just to prefer to give favoritism to someone who... who is popular, someone who is well-known, someone who's rich. It says, can we put that verse up again, actually, for, uh, chapter 5, verse 24? It says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. That sounds painful, doesn't it? It is. It is. Sometimes with our flesh, I mean, we just have to reach in and rip it out. And cast it aside. The Bible says if we have an authentic faith, we will crucify those passions and desires and walk in the Spirit. You see, this verse doesn't end there. It says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Meaning, without the Holy Spirit, we're hopeless basket cases to the flesh. We're just in bondage. We're slaves to the flesh. But we've been given the grace to crucify and say no. Titus says the grace of God teaches us to say no by the Spirit and then walk in the Spirit. So now think about, let's pause, step back now with that and and think about what James is saying here in verses 1 through 8. Think about what he's saying. Think about how far. You miss the heart of God when you favor one over another because one is wealthy, powerful, strong, or popular, and the other is poor and weak. Think about how far you're missing uh, the, 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 the heart of God. Now, listen, you parents, I want you to think about your kids. If one of your kids is struggling, he or she is unpopular at school. Maybe he's not as gifted as other children. Maybe he's not as physically attractive. Maybe he's not as outgoing. Maybe he is handicapped. And he is lonely and rejected. Which kid 
are you going to pay special attention to? It's that one. And let me tell you, all that is is the heart of God. You say, well, God loves everyone equally. He does, but he leaves the 99 and goes for the what? The one. Let's see what the Bible says about those who the world typically treats as an outcast. I love this. From Leviticus, chapter 19 in the Old Testament. The stranger. This is a law directly from the mouth of God given through Moses. The stranger, meaning the alien, someone who's not from your community, who dwells among you, you shall be to, shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love that, by the way. Those laws in Leviticus. Many times after a law is declared, that's what God says. I am the Lord your God. Same idea in James chapter 2. James starts uh, the chapter in verse 1. If Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, lives in you, you will not treat people with partiality. By the way. We've quoted the Old Testament Leviticus. We've quoted Moses, actually the Lord speaking to Moses. What about the Lord of glory? What did he say about all this? Let's get this one up. When you give a dinner or a supper, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus Christ. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back. And you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Say, Steve, shouldn't you qualify? You know, shouldn't you qualify the statement here? Well, Jesus didn't. So I better not. That's what Jesus says about the matter. It's a reflection of the heart of God. So what James is saying here, if Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, lives in your heart, you not only will not only will you not treat people differently on the basis of how much money they have, but you will not treat uh, people really on the difference of, of other characteristics. I think of race. Every day. Every day, I pray that the Lord would do a work of diversity in this church. You know why? Because it is a reflection of the heart of the Lord of glory. Absolutely no excuse that Sunday morning is the most segregated morning of the week. Jesus came into the temple and he said, and he, he cleared out the money changers. He cleared out all the, all the people. And he said what? He says, this temple was made to be a house of prayer for just a couple nations, the Jewish nation. Just white people. Just the Aryans. Of course not. That's satanic. He said, this house was made to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And let me tell you, there's a prophetic word, I believe, for today. 
that we have made churches a den of prejudice. The Bible says judgment will begin in the house of God. I pray every day the Lord will do a work of diversity in Calvary Chapel in the city because it's a reflection um, of the heart of God. And yeah, I, I, I understand demographics and that type of thing. And, and in some areas, there's just, uh, you know, they're demographically one race. I get all that. But I, I, I'm just talking where there's opportunity, which certainly we have in the city. Lord, do a work of diversity, racial diversity among us. And so, verse 10, James continues. He says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do, if you do not commit adultery, but you do, not, you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy Mercy triumphs over judgment. So verse 10 there begins for, for whatever, meaning verse 10 is connected to the verses before it. So again, verse 10 there says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Meaning, it may be all fine and well, if there is some area, just an area in your life that you are, man, you are spiritual, a megastar. Oh, man, you excel in this point. This says in God's economy, that doesn't cut it. You know, every Saturday night, we have a witnessing team that goes out in the streets during this uh, four or five months in the summer and tells people about the Lord, asks them about God, stirs up, you know, uh, people's hearts and, and gets them to focus on, on God, eternity, judgment, this type of thing. One of the questions we ask them is this. If you die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? By the way, the Bible says you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. First John chapter 5 says, these things are written so that you will know that you have eternal life. We're the children of God. He doesn't want us wondering whether we're going to heaven. That's not a father-child relationship. That's not, that doesn't describe a father-child relationship. The Bible says we can know. But, so we ask that question. Do you know for certain if you're going to heaven? Some people say yes, and we say, well, that's great. So um, how do you know that? How do you know for sure that you are going to heaven? And, man, some of, them, you know, some of them will say, you know, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Nothing else. That's awesome, man. But others will just take off on some little area of their life, some, some discreet area of their life. And, you know, well, you know, uh, I know I'm going to heaven because I take care of my elderly parents. You know, doesn't the Bible say something over there about, uh, you know, honoring your mother and father? And yeah, they live with me and I, I feed them. I, I take them to the doctor. I clean them. I give them their medicine. I, I help them go into the bathroom, you know, this type of deal. I know I'm going to heaven. I just... That's what I do. We get these type of answers all the time. Well, you know something? That's awesome. That's awesome that you're honoring your father and your mother. That is absolutely admirable. 
The problem is, and we just read it, the Bible says whoever shall keep the holy law and yet stumble at one point is guilty of it all. Meaning, for example, however good you may be to your parents, if you leave your home during the day or whatever, and you give the slightest preference or favor to someone based upon how they look, how they act, how popular they are, how much money they are, you are guilty of breaking all of God's law. That is what James is saying here. Again, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Wow, really? Yes, really. That's terrible news. Well, not necessarily. Because Jesus Christ kept the whole law on your behalf. He never stumbled, not even in one point. And the Bible says that if you call upon him to save you, he will. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. That's good news. Yes, it is. That's good news. That word gospel. That's what it means. Good news. That is good news. Now look at verse 12. It says, so speak and so do. So do. So do. As those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now what does that mean? Who are those who will be judged by the law of liberty? Well, that word liberty, the root word in the Greek is the word eleutheros. How I got it. Eleutheros. It means one who has ceased to be a slave or one who has been freed from the bondage of the law. Listen, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be judged by the law of liberty. When you are judged by the law of liberty, the judge, and the Bible says we all appear before a judgment seat. The judge will declare, if you're judged by the law of liberty, you are innocent. He is innocent. She is innocent. He has been freed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says all of us will appear before a judgment seat. The question is, will you be judged by the law of liberty? Because let me tell you, you don't want to be judged by any other law because you failed. <laughs> you have failed in at least one point. So that's the point that, that, that James is making here. But he's saying, look, in, in verse 12, he says, when you speak with your mouth, exercise self-control. And when you do love as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is what the cross is all about. Mercy triumphing over judgment. Our sin had to be judged. It was. Only Jesus was judged for our sin. The result God's mercy on us, mercy triumphs over judgment. Everybody with me? 
Verse 14. What is it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things that, which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Notice the pattern. I don't know if any of you picked it up. Verse 14, it says, if someone says. Verse 16, if someone says. Verse 18, but someone will say. In other words, there's talk, 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 but no walk, 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 walk. There's just yak, 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 yak. No love, 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 love. That's the point here. Listen, some people will perish eternally. Because they missed it by only 12 inches. The 12 inches from their head to their heart. What they know up here never made it here. What came out here, their mouth never came here to their heart. They missed it by 12 inches. James says if you have a real authentic faith, it will express itself in love. By the way... Some people read these things and say, well, doesn't this contradict what Paul said in Romans? We are justified by faith apart from the law? Not at all. In his letter to Galatians, Paul says this, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. There were some Jews which said, look, if you want to come to Jesus, you have to accept him by faith, but you also have to become a Jew. You have to be circumcised. And Paul just was just making the point here. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working or expressing through love. When there's, if, if faith doesn't have love, it's no faith at all. It's not a saving, authentic faith. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said this. Many of you have heard this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Underline that word for. You're not saved by works, but after you're saved, you do what? You do good works. You're saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning, A God-made faith. Remember, faith is a gift of God. And a real saving faith, God places in us, into our lives, works which he's prepared for us to do. He's put a calling on our life. To go out there and, 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 and walk in whatever gift and works and calling that he's called us into. That is a real, authentic faith. Let's close it out now. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The point there is, oh, so you say you believe. Well, I believe Jesus. I believe this. I believe that. I'm going to heaven. He's just saying, you know, the devil's the same way. Satan believes in God. And they tremble. Remember those in in the book of Matthew? Jesus walked up to some demons and they start shouting out, Oh, son of God, don't mess with us before our time. Are you going to send us to the abyss? 
They were terrified. They trembled. They believed him. They're not going to heaven. That's the point that James is making. Verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Remember, you know, the Lord told to, to sacrifice uh, the Lord, Lord told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Abraham did it by faith. In other words, his, 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 um, he, he actually, he didn't, he didn't finish it. <laughs> Isaac lived. If you remember, he was just about to sacrifice. Abraham was just about to sacrifice him. And the Lord said, stop and replace the sacrifice with a, a ram. But what, was, what, what happened is his faith expressed itself in obedience. That's the, that's the point that he is making here. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see, then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, not Rahab. Was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know, I love the way that he sort of closes out here saying, you know, both Abraham and Rahab had a saving, authentic, real faith. You know, when I think of Abraham, I think of this, like, incredible, straight-laced, mighty man of God. I mean, you know, I know he stumbled in a couple points. He gave up his, his wife uh, to, to the king, you know. But she was his half-sister. Probably you, you ladies out there, probably not a good enough excuse. It wasn't. But, yeah, that, that, that was a that, – he did stumble in that. But, you know, when I think of Abraham, I just – I think of the guy, wow, you know, he goes and he rescues Lot and – in Genesis and a bunch of those uh, cities, he, he rescued these cities, you know, from these enemies that had come in and take them over. And then the king of Sodom came out and wanted to pay him all this money. Here, take all this money, Abraham. He says, I'm not going to take one cent from you, lest you get credit for this victory rather than the Lord. I mean, he was just this mighty man of God with incredible integrity. Rahab was a prostitute. She had been selling her body for years and years. They both get to heaven one way. By faith. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, by faith, calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's still faith plus nothing. You're never going to be able to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I had this good work that I did. That's, that's why I deserve to come to your heaven. No, it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We're never going to be able to get to God and, and plead anything other than the blood of Jesus. However, an authentic faith, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved the Lord, someone who is really an authentic faith, who has made Jesus the master of their life, it will express itself in a life of love, a life of self-control, a life of kindness, 
over time, all these things will be manifested. You know, I always want to come back to grace. You know, we read the book of James sometimes, you know, I love it, exposing my heart to it, but I got to remember, I can't just leave this room here today and expect to do anything that he's talking about in the power of my own strength. And I can't be motivated by guilt. I can't be motivated by peer pressure. I can't be motivated by a sense of obligation. None of that. I need to be motivated same way James was because his eyes were opened up to the, who the Lord Jesus really was. You know, there are laws in the state of Massachusetts, laws enforced by actually hundreds of workers, including, I think, a couple of you in this room. Every day, these laws, they, 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 they require that parents take care of their children. Really simple, right? It's true. If you don't take care of your children, the law says the state of Massachusetts can come in and take them away. Guess how much those laws motivate me to treat my kids good? Guess how much? Zero. I never even think about it. I have to say, until this weekend, it never even crossed my mind. You know, I don't say, hey, hey you know, Stephanie, you, you better get the kids up and take them to school. Otherwise, you know, the state of Massachusetts will show up, you know, and they'll take our kids. Away. No, no. Hey, hey, you know, hey, Stephanie, I don't know if this, this meal is good enough. We better add an extra egg, you know, the state of Massachusetts. They may be looking through the window. No, that, that's not why I do. I am motivated by one thing. I know who my kids are. And I love them. Grace. The Bible says an authentic faith, a saving faith, is characterized by a grateful, for what Jesus has done, grace-filled heart. And it, it, it makes obeying the law the easiest thing in the world. And I really mean that. The more I understand grace, the more I live a life which is, is pure and holy and, and, and reflects the, the character of the Lord Jesus. And that's, what, that's this experience that James had. And, and what he is, he's pouring out his heart and he's saying, look... This is the life that reflects a heart that's been through open heart surgery. God being the surgeon. Jesus being the surgeon. The Holy Spirit being the scalpel. This is the life here. We will pick up next time in, in chapter 3. Let's pray. The worship team could come up. Father, we thank you. That's a lot of information, Lord. And we need your grace. We need your... We need the Holy Spirit to, to navigate. 
But Lord, we want to be as a people who are living out our lives with one motivation, love, love of you. With one motivation, Lord, a grateful heart. A heart that understands what you have done. A heart that has been established in grace. Lord, if there is a man or woman that's never happened before uh, with them, Lord, I just pray, Lord, this morning you would complete that work that you would do that open heart surgery in their lives. Father, we do need your grace. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we have tongues many times we're ashamed of. And Lord, we do favor. We do confess favoring the powerful, the popular, that type of thing, Lord. We thank you that your word says that If we have sinned, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we can all walk out of this room today, Lord, walking in grace, understanding it, Lord. We love you and we need you. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There will be two people up here after the service um, who will be up here. If you've never really asked God to perform that open heart surgery on your heart, come up and pray with them. Or I'll be back here or speak with one of the other, uh, other pastors. You, you can now rise for a closing worship song. God bless you.